Lesson 8, Paul confronts Peter. So what Paul is doing in Galatians 1 and 2 is he's given a chronological layout of his life in order to confirm that the gospel that he's teaching is accurate and that he's not lying because he he had been labeled a liar by these teachers from Jerusalem. So he's trying to resurrect his reputation. I'm not lying, I'm telling you the truth. And then he gives the chronological order of when he got this message of grace, how he got it, that he didn't get it from anybody in Jerusalem, that he got it in Arabia from Jesus and other revelations from Jesus we looked at last week. Well, this is pretty amazing what we're about to see here. If he's going chronologically through his experiences, and if this next part of Galatians is chronologically in order, then what's about to unfold in Galatians, starting with verse 11, I believe, is hard to wrap our brains around. It shows us the power of these religious leaders and how much control they had over people. So, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, Antioch of Acts chapter 11, and at the end of Acts chapter 14, it's where these false teachers had come, and they were trying to persuade people to go back from from grace to law. Paul goes to Jerusalem. They have a debate. They settle on what the gospel is. Peter even stands up and announces that not only are, are Gentiles saved by grace through faith in Jesus, so are Jews. That's the gospel message that they settled on. And they all agreed to, and they shook hands over. All right? So chronologically, what we're about to read happens after the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. It, it's after. When Peter came to Antioch, however, I opposed him to his face because he stood to be condemned. He stood to be confronted. For before certain men came from who? James. Very interesting, right? James sent men to Antioch. They came from James. And Paul even says certain men. Almost saying that James handpicked the guys that he sent to Antioch. Specific. I want you to go down there, I want you to go down there, and I want you to go down there. I want you to see what's going on in Antioch, because I think the Jews are relating to the Gentiles. I think the Jews are eating with the Gentiles. So they had come to the agreement in Acts 15 that salvation is by grace through faith, but what they didn't come to an agreement on was that the Jews and the Gentiles could eat together and relate together and go in and out of each other's houses. But that's the gospel. Law has been set aside. Grace has come. So in my understanding, James is saying, you go see if any of these Jews are, are eating with these Gentiles. You go see if any of these Jews are hanging out with these Gentiles because the law forbids that. So before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they, these men sent from James, when they arrived, he began to draw back, that's Peter, and separate himself from the Gentiles, why did Peter draw back and separate himself? Here's the answer. For fear of those in the circumcision group. That's the Jews from Jerusalem. He craved the acceptance of these leaders in Jerusalem. And whenever we crave the acceptance of religious leaders because of a title or a position, we are in danger of no longer communicating the gospel of grace. Because if these leaders 
don't approve of the gospel of grace, but I crave their approval, then I'm going to water down the gospel of grace because I want them to like me and not reject me. Therefore, in fear, I will water down the gospel of grace with legalistic requirements because I want their acceptance. Right? That's what was going on in Antioch. The other Jews joined in his hypocrisy, join in Peter's hypocrisy. Going So Peter, Peter had this experience right in Acts chapter 10. He was on the roof. He had a vision. He was to go to Cornelius's house. In the vision, he could eat anything. He was no longer under the law of Moses. He was free to eat any food. That's one law that you could that they were required at one time to obey. You couldn't eat certain foods, nor could you enter a Gentile's house. So God gives them an experience, sends him to a Gentile's house and eats Gentile food. Why? To show Peter that we're not under law, but we're under grace. So Peter has that experience in Acts chapter 10. He also has the experience of Acts 15, where he stands up and concludes that they are saved by grace through faith just as we are. Gentiles and Jews. So it's like God has given Peter these examples and these experiences to help Peter transition from law to grace, from the law of Moses and what happened on Mount Sinai to the cross of Jesus that happened uh, on, on Calvary. God's setting up these circumstances to help him make that transition from law to grace. So he's having all these experiences and all of a sudden these men come to Antioch of Acts chapter 11. Now remember how this church was started. There was great persecution going on in, in Jerusalem, right? And people started exiting Jerusalem and they started going out fleeing persecution. And as they're fleeing persecution, two men have the boldness to share about Jesus with the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 11. So those in Jerusalem hear that Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. So they send Barnabas to Antioch. It's all in Acts 11. To check this thing out. And Barnabas reports back. Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. Without converting to Judaism. I'm seeing it before my very eyes. And then. So many Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus. They're leaving their false gods. They're doing exactly what, ha what Jesus said would happen, turning from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, by faith, receiving what Jesus has done, receiving forgiveness. So Barnabas is there, and Barnabas becomes really the first pastor of that church in Antioch. So Barnabas has a, a problem. He has a blessing and a problem on his hand. The blessing, so many Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. The problem is, I need some help. We've got to disciple them in the gospel of grace. We've got to teach them the fullness of what happened on the cross. The finality of the cross, the fullness of the cross, the freedom of the cross, and the resurrection and Christ in them, and the spirit-filled life where you call God Abba Father. He, he needed somebody. So who does, who does he get? He's like, oh, I know. I'm going to go get Paul because he's in Tarsus. So God sends Barnabas to Tarsus to get Paul. It's all in Acts 11. And Paul begins, and Barnabas begins discipling these Antioch Gentile believers in the good news of grace. 
The church sends them on a missionary journey to tell others about grace because how do you keep that message to yourself? So the church in Antioch is like, gosh, grace has so changed our lives. Let's send it out so it can change the lives of others. Paul and Barnabas, will you go into other cities to tell people about grace like y'all have told us and taught us about grace? So they go on their missionary journey, and when they get back, the deceivers from Jerusalem have, are there trying to get people back to the law. Then they go to Jerusalem, and they debate, is it grace or law, a mixture of the two, and it's, hey, it's all by grace through faith in Jesus. All right. So they go back to Antioch, and these same people show up again in Antioch because they're relentless to get people under law. Legalists don't give up easy, right? That's why Paul said, listen, have one conversation with them, have two conversations with them. And he tells, I see the Titus or Timothy, have three conversations with them, but be done after that. And with each conversation, be gentle, be kind, communicate accurately and communicate clearly and communicate boldly. And then pray that God grants them repentance so that their minds are, are no longer captive by the satanic lies of legalism. But they're relentless. So they come back to Antioch. Peter's there. Paul must have been gone. He had left. He wasn't there. Peter's there. Barnabas is there. And here comes these guys from Jerusalem. And Peter so craved the acceptance of these lawmen, of these legalists, of these works-oriented believers, where he used to hang out and eat with the Gentiles and spend time with the Gentiles. They said, no, Peter, you've got to get back under the law because the law forbids us to relate to them. Yes, they're saved by grace through faith. Yes, we're saved by grace through faith. We settled that in Acts 15. But we still can't hang out with them. And you need to come back here. Peter wanted their acceptance. So what does Peter do? He rejects the Gentiles. And in doing that, he's rejecting grace. He's rejecting the cross because the cross brings Jew and Gentile together in one family, right? Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 3. And the law has been abolished. And we don't drag the law into the family of God. So Peter deserts the Gentiles and goes back to the Jews. Not only does Peter do it, but he influences Barnabas in Antioch to abandon the Gentiles and to only associate with the Jews. This is the Barnabas that took Paul around in Jerusalem and introduced him to everybody. This is the Barnabas who went and got Paul to tell the Gentiles about grace. And now the only one standing up for grace in Antioch is Paul and the Gentiles. Wow. Barnabas is gone. Peter's gone. And it's just Paul and the Gentiles. So Paul has a conversation with Peter in front of everybody. Now, most of us are, f are familiar with Galatians 2.20, right? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. I never knew the context of Galatians 2.20. This is what Paul was telling Peter. Galatians 2.20 is the words of Paul to Peter who had slipped back into legalism. So let's take a look at this verse in context. 
Paul says, when I saw that they, Peter and Barnabas and the others, were not walking in line with the truth of the Gospel. What's the truth of the Gospel? It was what they settled on in Acts 15. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. All right. Righteousness by faith in Jesus. That's the truth of the Gospel. I said to Cephas or Peter in front of them all. So this is a public confrontation of Paul to Peter. Peter, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Here's what he says. All right, Peter, you're going through this transition from law to grace. You've had the dream in Acts 10. You've had the experience with Cornelius. You've seen the Holy Spirit come. You understand that we're not under law, but under grace. So you've experienced that. But now you're going back to the law and you're also trying to get Gentiles under the law after the Acts 15 experience and after the grace debate of Acts 15. So Peter's having a difficult time transitioning from law to grace, right? I had that same difficulty too. And I think most of us have that same difficulty. Because once we start seeing the fullness of the grace of God, we can begin to see legalism very easily in the Bible studies that we go to, in sermons that we hear, in conferences that we go to. Legalism will begin jumping out. We will begin to spot legalism once we come to understand grace. We will begin to see how legalism has put us in bondage as we see that Salvation's by grace through faith and fellowship's by grace through faith and it's all Jesus and none of me. We'll begin to see subtle ways that I'm relating to God with a legalistic mentality. And we may go fully to grace, but when we're around these people over here, we may go back to law because I want them to accept me because I crave the acceptance of the people that I'm with. I crave the acceptance of the pastor, the Bible study teacher, my friends. So because I crave their acceptance, even though I know grace is it, I'm just going to blend in over here because I want to be accepted. That's what Peter did. But that's not what Paul did. And because Paul didn't do what Peter did, we have the gospel of grace today. Had Paul blended in with the legalists, we would not have the gospel of grace today. We wouldn't have Ephesians. We wouldn't have Colossians. We wouldn't have Philippians and we wouldn't have Galatians, and we wouldn't have Romans. Somebody had to stand up for grace. And God appointed Paul to be that one, which is really ironic. That God takes the one who's the most passionate about the law in Israel, and he makes him the one that's the most passionate about grace in all of the world, so that he doesn't care if other people reject him. He's got to protect the gospel for future generations. So for you and me, we are that future generation. Because he stood up for grace. We have scripture that teaches us about grace. Peter was going back. He was blending in. He craved acceptance. So we go back to 15. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Notice the sinners is in quotes. Because that's what the Jews love to call the Gentiles. 
those sinners. Remember Jesus. When you read Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sinners is always in quotes. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are quoting the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I'm glad I'm not like those Gentile sinners. I'm glad I read the Torah every day. I'm glad I pray every day. I'm glad I give the tenth of my money away in Luke 19. I'm glad of my religious conduct. I'm glad of my morality and my religious activity. I'm so glad I'm not like those sinners. And then that sinner that this Jew, this religious Jew in the temple was talking about was outside of the gates. He wouldn't even come close. So the Jews looking up to God saying, oh, look how great I am with my religious activity and my morality. And the one outside won't even look up. He's looking down. And the one in the temple is bragging about how good he is. And the one outside looking down is beating on his chest about how no good he is. He has nothing to bring. We sing the song, right? Nothing to the cross I bring, right? Only to the cross I cling. Great song, but when I thought that I had to maintain fellowship with God, I ceased clinging to the cross. I no longer cling to the cross. I'll cling to the cross for salvation all day long, but I was taught that you don't cling to the cross for fellowship. You cling to your quiet time. You cling to you. Make sure all your sins are confessed. As if I could remember every sin I've ever done and confess them to God so I could be in fellowship. That's just unbiblical. So Peter is letting go of the cross because he craves acceptance and Paul is clinging to the cross for fellowship and for righteousness and salvation. We know that a man, whether Jew or Gentile, is not justified or declared righteous by God by works of the law, religious activity and morality, but by faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith. That's the simplicity of the gospel. So we too have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified or declared righteous by God, receive God's forgiveness by faith in Christ Jesus and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. My morality doesn't earn me anything with God. Religious activity earns me nothing with God. I'm freely given everything from God through Christ. Justification, righteousness, holiness, it's all free and it's all purchased by the blood of Christ. 17, but if while we seek to be justified in Christ, we ourselves are found to be sinners does that make Christ a minister of sin? Certainly not. All right. The attack of legalists on teachers of grace is that we promote sin. We're, prom we're just telling people they can sin all they want. When we talk about grace, and you talk too much about grace, and people are just, you're just telling people it doesn't matter how they live. That's how you know you're teaching the gospel, one. That's the attack made against Paul. But what Paul is very clear, remember, he's talking to Peter. He's telling Peter this. Peter, I know they're accusing me of promoting sin, but understand this, where did I get my gospel from? I got it from the ascended Jesus. He talks about it in Galatians 1, 10, 11, and 12. So when they accuse me of promoting sin because of the gospel of grace that I teach, 
which is the gospel Jesus gave me to teach, they're really not accusing me of promoting sin. They're really accusing Jesus of promoting sin. He's answering these people back. That was conversation that was going on. They're saying, oh, Paul's just saying Jesus can. Paul's just saying Jesus doesn't care how you live. Paul's just saying Jesus says, go sin all you want. That was the, that was the conversation in, in, uh, in Antioch. And so he's saying, Peter, y'all are saying Jesus promotes sin when y'all say I do because I'm just saying what Jesus told me to say. We ourselves are found to be sinners. What is it that if I'm having a hard time believing I'm a sinner, what do I need to show me that I'm a sinner? The law. Romans 7, 7 through 25. If I'm having a tough time believing that I need Jesus because I think I'm good, then I need the Ten Commandments to show me I'm really not that good. And that nothing good lives in me. Roman, Paul talks about this in Romans. The law increases sin, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is to increase sin, not to decrease sin. And the reason God gave the Ten Commandments to increase sin was to increase my awareness that I need a Savior. And the Savior has come to me in grace. And it's in Him where I find forgiveness and eternal life. Here's what they were saying about Paul. Paul's Paul's just saying Jesus promotes sin because the law was given to increase sin. And since Paul's saying that the law was given to increase sin, then what he's saying is since God gave the law, then God's the promoter of sin. Look at Paul. He's telling people that Jesus is saying you can sin all you want. He's telling people that God promotes sin. Paul's answering all these questions. And we'll see later as this gospel unfolds in Galatians, this gospel that was given to Paul by Jesus. He's responding and reacting to all these criticisms going on about him in Antioch. If in verse 18, if I rebuild what I have already torn down. I prove myself to be a lawbreaker. Here's what Paul's saying. Who's the real lawbreaker here? That's what I think that's what he's asking. The law was abolished in Christ at the cross. Ephesians chapter two. The law was nailed to the cross with Jesus. Its commandments, its regulations, its rituals, its diets, its days, its duties, its observances. It was all nailed to the cross. And it was buried in the ground with Christ. And Peter's trying to resurrect the law that Jesus abolished. So here's what I think Paul is saying. Peter, who's the real sinner? Y'all are saying that these Gentile sinners, he says the real sinner are those who are trying to resurrect the law. That's the real sinner. Because Jesus tore it down. Jesus destroyed it. It was nailed to the cross. It was put to an end. It was abolished. And we have a new family of grace that relates to God, not through any of the law of Moses, but through all of the blood of Christ and his resurrection, his ascension, spirit of Christ in us. So as they were accusing Paul of being a lawbreaker because he's saying you're not under law, well, Paul's just telling people they can sin all they want. Paul's saying, let me tell you who the real lawbreaker is. Those who are trying to rebuild the law that Jesus died to destroy. 
this is an amazing conversation going on that everybody's listening to. Really, it's not a conversation. It's just, it's just Paul confronting him. Because I think Paul's had enough of it by now, probably. And so he's just, he's just sharing this. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now we're bringing 220 into context, right? Through the law, I died. The law is a ministry of death. The Ten Commandments is a ministry of death. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because what is the penalty for breaking the Ten Commandments? Death. Has anybody ever obeyed the commandments? No. The law was written on the hearts of the Gentiles. We never had the law, but the requirements of the law, Romans chapter 2, I think it's verse 9, says the requirements of the law was written on the hearts of the Gentiles. We know that lion's lion. Don't need the Ten Commandments to tell us that. We just know it here. We know adultery is adultery. We know stealing stealing. Just something written on the hearts of mankind. There's a, there's a moral code that God has written on the hearts of mankind that alerts us to what's right and wrong. And our conscience tells us that. So the law is a ministry of death because whenever I violate my conscience, has anybody ever violated their conscience? We have, haven't we? And when I violate my conscience, I prove that I'm a sinner. Because my conscience is telling me the moral way to go. And when I violate my conscience, I go the opposite way that, of what God has written on my heart. So that's why the law is a ministry of death. God didn't give us the Ten Commandments to clean us up. He gave us the Ten Commandments to show us how dirty we are. And once I allow the Ten Commandments to show me how dirty I am, then I go to faith in Jesus to cleanse my heart by faith. Because it's the blood of Christ that cleanses our hearts, not my obedience to the commandments, not my quiet times, not my religious activity, not my morality. Because if any of those work, then I don't need Jesus. Right? He did it all. He, we sing it a lot. Jesus paid it all, all to him. Notice the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. We sing about his forgiveness, purchased for me, freely given to me. We sing these songs all the time. And then we turn around and say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. But I just sang that it was free. I just sang that it was purchased for me. I just sang that it was fully given to me. And we receive it by faith. And, but I'm not resting in what I'm singing, right? I'm not resting in what Scripture's saying. Because somewhere along the way, I was exposed to legalism. And now I'm beginning to see with clarity that Jesus really did pay it all. And it's, it begins to change our hearts from the inside out. Transformation begins to happen as we hear the gospel. Because we're going to see in later teachings that the Spirit of Christ takes the truth of the gospel and transforms our hearts. The law can never transform the heart. Just shows us that our hearts are dirty, but grace can. So Paul said, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I cannot live in a real relationship with God as long as I'm in legalism. It just can't happen. I'm saved. But if I'm in legalism, I will never experience the relationship with God that Jesus went to the cross for me to have. I can't live depending upon my legalistic practices and depend upon Jesus at the same time. And so we blend them together. 
Real freedom comes when I stop depending upon my legalistic practices to relate to God. And I start depending 100% upon what Jesus did. Missed a quiet time? No problem. I'm guiltless. I'm holy. I'm righteous. If I want to spend time with God in a quiet time, wonderful, great. But that merits nothing with God. God's attitude is based upon whether or not we fulfill some kind of requirement. Because he relates to us based upon the blood of Jesus, period. That's good news. That's why it's called the gospel of grace, the good news about grace. All right. So Paul says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I might have a relationship with God. Now we come to 220. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Now, remember, he's saying this to Peter. Peter's trying to earn righteousness through the law, right? He's going back. He's putting self-effort into fellowship with God and self-effort into righteousness before God. Paul says, I died to all those things. When, when Jesus died, when the law was nailed with Jesus on the cross, God saw me nailed on the cross too. I have been crucified with Christ. When the law died, I died. But you and I have been raised with Christ, right? Ephesians. Not only have we been raised with Christ, but we've been seated with God. Guess what stayed in the ground when you were raised with Christ? The law. God didn't resurrect the law. He only resurrected Jesus. Peter was trying to resurrect the law and apply it to his relationship with the Father and the, the Gentiles' relationship to the Father. And it's no law. It's no legalism. It's no works. It's no requirements. It's no rituals. It's no duties. It's no demands. It's all him. That's freedom. That's what Paul is sharing here. Can you imagine what people are saying as Paul is saying this? Guy's out of his mind. They're listening to Paul like, this guy's crazy. We've, we've got to beat him to every Gentile city he goes to. We've got to keep trying to ruin his reputation. We've got to keep slandering him because he's ruining everything. And they did as the gospel unfolds in Acts. And you read Paul's letters. Everywhere Paul goes, they are. It just started in Antioch. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Here's what I want us to see. But Christ lives in me. That's the missing message of the church today. That's the missing message. Christ lives in me. Paul really expounds on this in Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. In Galatians chapter 4, he talks about that Christ be fully developed in you. So Paul's goal was that what Christ did on the cross would be fully developed in us, understanding, come to an understanding of the fullness of what Christ had done in us, uh, Galatians 4. Christ in you. It took me a while to wrap my brain around this, and it may you too. But I was taught to be a Christ follower, as if Christ is out there somewhere. I was taught to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. That was not Paul's message. It's a message of the earthly Jesus to the Jews. But it certainly wasn't the message of Paul to the Gentiles. Because you can't find it there. Paul operated on the post side of the cross. Remember in the Lord's prayers, I'm not talking about our Father who art in heaven. 
That's the disciples' prayer. The Lord's prayer is that the Father will be in you. And I will be in you. And you will be in me. And it's, it kind of gets confusing. And we'll be in each other. And it's all internal. That's what Paul's teaching here. Christ in you. That Christ be fully developed in you. Oh, I thought I had to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. No. I want people to understand what Christ has fully done for them. And that Christ lives in you. Christ fully lives in you. So it's not about me being a fully devoted follower of Christ or having been a Christ follower. I can't do that. The disciples couldn't. They failed miserably. I can't do it. But I, I put my faith in Christ. And Christ will come live in me. In this life I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice what Paul doesn't say here. He's nothing about being a fully devoted follower of Christ in the gospel. There's a zero about that. But there's everything about you being fully discipled in what Christ did for you on the cross. That's what's in Scripture. So look at this. Look at this. And it took me some time. So that might be new. You may have never heard it. I had to say, whoa, hold on a second. That's contrary to so much of what I've ever heard. And then I had to say, what does Scripture say? Where is the gospel found? And here it is. Look how, look how Paul relates to God. For 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not about me following Christ, right? I've been crucified. It's not about me following him. I no longer live. See, these are, it's not about me following Jesus. It's about him dying for me because I can't follow him. That's why I had to put the spirit of Christ in me. If I can follow Jesus, I don't need Christ in me. I don't need the spirit of Christ in me. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. And here it is. Christ lives in me. He says, this life I live in the body. Notice what he doesn't say here. I live by being a fully devoted follower of Christ. It's not what he says. He says this. This life I live in the body, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how Paul lived. Paul didn't live as a fully devoted follower of Christ. He lived by faith in what Christ did for him on the cross through love when he gave himself for a Paul on the cross. That changed my life. Because I went from trying to be a follower of Jesus and kind of living as a failure in that. I'm not really a good follower of Jesus. God, I'm going to try to follow you better. Jesus, I'm going to try to be better devoted to you and fully devoted follower of you. I'm going to give it my best shot. And then I begin to see that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me and who now lives in me. And by the Spirit of Christ in me, the Spirit leads me in life from the inside out. It's all internal. So if you're having difficult with that, I totally understand. You know, just seek Scripture out and just see what Paul says about the Gospel. Galatians 2.21, nobody ever taught me. I only, I only knew Galatians 2.20. I had no idea of the historical context. Galatians 2.21 really wraps it up for us. 
And this is Paul telling Peter, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. That's his point. If fellowship is up to me, then I really don't need you. If I can be a follower of Jesus, then I don't need the cross of Jesus. Because they were following Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Before he ever died. Follow me, follow me, follow me. And what did all of them do? They abandoned Jesus. I don't know the man. They all scattered. They failed at following. Success for them didn't come until Christ took residence in their hearts. And they ceased being followers of Jesus and they started walking by faith in what Christ did for them at the cross and Christ in them, empowering them to do what they could have never done apart from him. That's why Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait, because the Spirit's going to come inside of you. And it's going to enable you that my Spirit in you is going to change your life. But now we live by faith. For if being right with God comes through my quiet time, then Christ died for nothing. If being right with God comes through my ongoing confession of sin every day for the rest of my life, then Christ died for nothing. Because they were doing that before Jesus died, right? I mean, the Hebrews were always doing that. We've just kind of picked up what they've done. We're not sacrificing animals, but we're still seeking forgiveness. And then Protestants will say, well, in just a minute, Protestants will say, boy, those Catholics just won't get Jesus off the cross. Right? And they just keep going to the priest. They just won't let Jesus be off the cross. Well, we don't either. We're just not going to the priest to ask for forgiveness. We're just going straight to God. We won't let him off the cross either. I know that I've let Jesus off the cross when I start thanking him for everything he did for me while he was on the cross. That's how I know that freedom has come. Took me some time to get here. So if this is new, if this is different, if just it's it's scripture it's the new covenant it's the gospel of grace it's where everything is free and nothing's earned and that totally changes us and we're going to end with this galatians 3 1 and this is what we'll pick up next week oh foolish galatians who has bewitched you before your very eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Why does Paul tell this story in Galatians about Peter? Because it really has nothing to do with them. Here's why. Because they were making the same mistake Peter made. Peter was being influenced by the Judaizers from Jerusalem to leave grace and go to law. And these same men that influenced Peter to leave grace and go to law are the same ones who are now in Galatia trying to get the Galatians to leave grace and go to law. And just like Peter was tricked and bewitched by these legalistic teachers, the Galatians were being bewitched and tricked by these legalistic teachers too. So Paul says, you foolish Galatians are this. Galatians, you quit thinking. The gospel is logic. The gospel is extremely logical. 
If Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, it only makes sense that we place our faith in him. All of our sins are forgiven. It's illogical to think I still have to keep asking for forgiveness. That just doesn't logically make sense if he paid it all and faith is receiving that he paid it all. It's not logical to keep asking for something he's never asked me to even ask for. He's just saying, accept it, it's free, it's yours. The gospel is logical. What I've discovered is legalism is so illogical. But because we've sat under legalism for so long, it becomes logical and the gospel becomes illogical. So that when you hold up the logic of the gospel, we compare it to the illogic of legalism and we go, nope, this is right and this is wrong. That's why it just takes some time. Remember when I said one plus one, kind of like, you know, one plus one is 11. In reality, it's one plus one is two. But if I've been taught my whole life, one plus one is 11 and somebody says one plus one is two. That just doesn't seem logical until I really begin to, to look deeper into it. So legalists will do magic tricks on us, religious magic tricks, where they will make grace disappear. And they will make legalism up here. Who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? Who has cast a magic spell on you? Who set up in your city a religious magic show where grace disappeared and law appeared? That's what happened in Galatia. And here's what the people did when these religious Judaizers came. And they did their magic show and, and, and law appeared and grace disappeared. You know how we do when magic magicians? We're like, whoa, how'd that happen? We, we're bewitched. We're mesmerized. We, how'd he make that disappear? That's what they were doing in Galatia. They made law disappear. That's why Paul said Jesus was betrayed as crucified before your very eyes. And they made law up here. And you know what the Galatians said? Wow. These guys are great magicians. Teach us more about law. Teach us how to do those legalistic magic tricks. That's what happens with us. We can be so mesmerized by the legalists that what they're saying seems to be right and we want more of what they have to say. Rather than the cross said enough, right? Remember the song, your grace is enough, your grace is enough, the cross is enough. How do I know what's enough? When everything about me and my relationship with God has everything to do with the cross and nothing to do with me. That's how I know that the cross is enough and grace is enough.